you please be seated and turn with me if you will in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 that's uh, on page 916 if you have one of the church Bibles if not it's also in uh, your service sheets in the insert uh, Galatians 6 we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this evening if you're you're looking at the uh, church Bibles you'll see that, that we're getting very close to the end of our series on Galatians next week we'll have um, one of the elders from Brentford coming uh, to join us, uh, Martin Fox. He'll finish us on Galatians. Actually, next Sunday is also the, the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, so we'll, we'll start celebrating the, the Christmas season, uh, the time when, when Christ came. And so from, from Sunday after next, the, the first Sunday in December, we'll start a, a Christmas series uh, through, through Matthew uh, and Matthew's uh, Gospel. And uh, we'll, we'll actually continue that series on, in Matthew into the new year uh, and probably for, for the first half. Uh, of next year. So uh, we, we're a church that values the Word of God, uh, and so we, we value going through whole books of the Bible. So we'll get through about half of Matthew next year, uh, do something else for a bit, and then come back to it. Uh, but for now, tonight, Galatians chapter 6, uh, I'll be reading verses 1 uh, through 10, and this is God's Word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, this week I had the opportunity to have lunch with, with a, another church planter, a, a, another local church planter. And as we were talking, we were, we were discussing how do we, how do we um, build a presence in the, the wider community? How do we let people know uh, that we're here and that we're here to, to serve? And he said something that they had done uh, was that they had gone out uh, to different homes in the neighborhood and introduced themselves from, as, as being from the local church and asked, you know, what, what do you think a, a church could do to be a, a help in the community? And he said some of the answers were, were really good and thoughtful, while, while others were things like, uh, well, there's a, you know, a lot of rubbish in the streets, and it'd be nice if somebody would, would sort of clean that up. And it, it struck the two of us that, that there, there tends to be a, a pretty dim view of, of what the church is, is there for. Many people think uh, it's, it's a community action organization, something that's, that's there to, to do good works for people. Uh, Paul actually says that that's, that's not what the, the church is at all. That actually the, the church is a, a community, but not necessarily an organization. Rather, it's, it's the family of God's people who he, set, he is set apart to worship, glorify, and serve him. And you have to have all three of those things to be a proper church. You have to worship God, glorify Him, and serve Him. Last week we saw how, how the Holy Spirit uh, is at work in, in individual believers. 
uh, and the implications of that for our, our holiness in life. That the, the Holy Spirit is, is the one who's, who's helping to, to bring, give us real righteousness. That the, the things that we, we don't want to do, uh, that we always end up doing, the Holy Spirit is, is actually starting to help us uh, fight off those, those desires. Today, Paul shifts from, though, from, from, indiv- from the individual to, to collective holiness. What does it mean for a group of people who've been saved by grace through faith and growing in their individual holiness? What does it mean for them to, to come together as God's family, as God's people? What does it look like and what are the, the implications for that community and for the wider world? And Paul, once again, gives us uh, three things this afternoon that answers these questions. First of all, we see how God's people care for one another. Secondly, we'll see how God's people care for their minister. And thirdly, how God's people care for everyone. So first of all, how, do, how God's people care for one another. One of the, the great things uh, about this section of Galatians is that, that it's actually really practical. Uh, it's fairly straightforward in many ways. What does Paul tell us we should do within the church of Christ when we see someone who's habitually sinning? Well, he says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I think it's really important to remind ourselves of what Paul is calling us to do here. We said last week the, the aim and the, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit at work in us is to, to make us more and more like Jesus. And Paul is saying here that, that this is the, the aim of the church of Christ as well. That our desire, our heart, is to, to see ourselves and see one another become more and more like Jesus. And we're called to, to care for one another the way that Jesus cares for them. We actually see what this, that, that looks like when we, when we look at the life of Jesus, don't we? How did he deal with, with sinners? Well, he, he corrected them, didn't he? Sometimes he corrected them quite strongly, but always, always with a, a spirit of, of gentleness that, that Paul's referring to here. Let me give you an example from, from Luke's gospel. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, uh, in verses 27 through 32, uh, Jesus calls a, a tax collector named Levi to, to follow him. Now, tax collectors in Jesus' day were absolutely despised people. Uh, and the reason being was that, that they, they collected taxes for the Romans. Uh, Israel in that time was, was not a free nation. The, the Romans were occupying uh, the nation, the, the nation of Israel. They, they were uh, holding them captive by the sword. And so uh, the tax collectors had essentially betrayed their countrymen, their, their fellow Jews, their fellow Israelites, by, by being willing to, to collect taxes for the, this Roman uh, occupying uh, military force. But not only that, uh, tax collectors were often dishonest. I know that's hard to believe, but, but they were. If, you, if you're a, a traitor to your people, then it's, it's, you probably have fewer qualms about, about being dishonest, aren't, don't you? So most of the, the tax collectors would, would, would charge more tax than they were, were actually required to do in order to grow their, their own personal wealth. So Jesus comes across this man, Levi, uh, this tax collector, and he's, he's actually sitting at the, the table where he, he collects taxes 
from the, the local population. And he says, uh, you follow me. And, and Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. And the first thing that, that Levi does is he, he throws this, this feast for Jesus. And he invites all of his tax collector friends to, to join him. All, all of his buddies come around uh, and they join in this feast. And Jesus is, is at this feast. He's the guest of honor. Now, the, the religious people, the Pharisees, hear about this, this feast of tax collectors. And they, they turn up and they criticize Jesus for joining in uh, this party, this meal with sinners. And here's how, how Jesus answers them. This is what Jesus says to these, these Pharisees, these religious people who are saying you shouldn't be dining with and, and eating with these tax collectors. They're, they're sinful people. Here, what's he say to them? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is actually a, a striking way of understanding what Paul is calling us to as the church of Christ. That our calling is not just, is to, to not just love sinners, but to, to love them so much that we, we call them to repentance and to follow Jesus. To show the tenderness and gentleness and love of our Savior that he, he showed to tax collectors and sinners. But Paul also reminds us of something, doesn't he? He, he reminds us that we're, we're not exactly like Jesus and that we ourselves are sinners. We should be able to relate to the tax collectors and the sinners because that's who, who we ourselves are and have been. You'll remember last week we, we looked at this, this list that, that, that's back in, in chapter 5 of, of all the things that our, our sin nature, our, our own hearts, are, are drawn to. And he, Paul followed that by, by telling us what the, the fruits of the Spirit are, what it looks like to be transformed into the image of Christ. And that, that's, that's starting to happen in our lives. It's starting to happen in our hearts. It's starting to bubble up in us. But it's an ongoing work. And the work of the Spirit in us isn't, isn't complete. So, so what, is, what Paul calls us to, to be careful and how we correct others. That we aren't overly bold. He says, keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Now what is, he, what is he talking about when he's saying, watch out that you're not tempted? Tempted to what exactly? Uh, there's a number of ways we could, we could answer this question, but I think the, the best answer is, I, I think what, what Paul is actually talking about is, he's warning us not to be like the Pharisees. He's warning us not to be tempted to be self-righteous when we're, when we're caring for one another and correcting one another. Reflect again on the account of Jesus calling Levi. What was the, the issue the Pharisees had? The issue wasn't that, that Jesus was, was dining with tax collectors and sinners. That was just a, an outward manifestation of a deeper issue. The real issue that the Pharisees had was that they thought that they were better than the tax collectors and sinners. That they, they thought they were holier than them. That they were uh, more righteous before God than these people. And thus their, their value before God was higher in their, in their own minds. And so these were people that they would never sit down and dine with. These were people that they didn't want to know, that they didn't want to, they didn't want to do life with. And Paul warns us here that we can very easily be like that. The, the fair, that, that we can be like the Pharisees if we don't 
humbly reflect on, on the attitudes and motives of our own hearts. That we aren't reminded of how badly we needed Jesus to call us to himself, like Levi did. See, we're easily tempted to be harsh in the way that we confront sin because we don't see our own need of repentance and the grace of Christ. The other way of looking at it is we aren't aren't able to love others rightly until we see our own need of Jesus in our lives. See, if we aren't addressing sin in the church in light of our own relationship to Jesus, then all we're doing is, is behavior modification. And that's what Paul this whole time has been condemning from the beginning of this letter to the Galatians. He says it's not about, the, the gospel is not about, about behavior modification. The Christian life isn't about just simply looking like you're a better person. It's about actually the, the grace of Christ taking root in our hearts and growing us to be more like him. And Paul's saying here this, this happens in a community where, where Jesus and his followers help each other to deal with sin while humbly dealing with their own sin. This is what Paul means in, in verse 2 when he says that, that we're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. What he's saying there is that, that at Grace Church at Hammersmith, we have to be a, a community of people who, who love one another and we love one another well. We have to be a community of people who, who love Christ enough not to allow us each other to, to, to uh, sin, uh, allow ourselves to, to live in, in unchecked sin. But we correct out of a heart that, that has themselves been defined by the gentle love of Jesus. This is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And it's delicate. And it's often very uh, awkward. And I'll have to say up front, as, as your minister, I won't always get it right. And I'm sorry uh, up front for when I don't. I need care and, and accountability too. That's why we're, we're a church that's connected to, to other churches, the, the IPC, for accountability. And as we, we get into the new year, we're going to begin to talk about what it, what, what it means to be a member at Grace Church. And, and actually, this is a fundamental principle of the, the church that Paul's laying out for us here. That the church of Christ is called to be like Christ in how we deal with sin. That we're not to deceive uh, ourselves by thinking we're more righteous than anyone else. But we're to, to, bear our, we're to bear one another's burdens, trusting that Christ is the one who makes us righteous. Now the second thing Paul shows us this afternoon is how God's people are to, to care for their minister. And here I think Paul's a, a, again addressing a, a particular issue that he's seen in the Galatian church. It seems that, that their minister was, was possibly being neglected by the congregation. So Paul lays out a, a general principle here for, for how we ought to treat ministers in the church of Christ. In verse 6, uh, he says, Let the, the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So let's, hear what, let's be clear about what Paul is saying here. He's, he's saying that the church, those who are, are taught the word, should provide for the minister out of the means God has given them. In other words, he's saying you should, you should pay a minister. Uh, the church should, should pay the minister and provide him with housing. Now I recognize that this can sound self-serving. 
Um, and, and it can, can appear that way uh, for me as, as your minister to, to say that. But, but actually, I feel I can be a bit bolder uh, on this issue because I'm actually like Paul in the sense that I'm a, a missionary sent to plant Grace Church, Hammersmith. I'm supported and cared for by your brothers and sisters in, in other churches in this country and, and uh, in, in other parts of the world. I think it's important to, to acknowledge that uh, because if you're, you're happy to be a part of this church, then you can be a part of it because, for, uh, freely, without cost, because other Christians in the world have, have found that, think that it's, it's worthwhile to invest in the Hammersmith community with the gospel. And they've, they've provided the practical things that, that are needed, like, like money, to make this church possible. So please understand, if, if, if you're visiting with us this afternoon, I'm, I'm not asking for your money. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't actually need it at, at this point. Uh, we want you to be able to freely join with us. Uh, the lesson for us, though, is that, that one day we're going to want to hire another minister. And even though I, I hope it's, it's many years from now, at some point I'll go to start another church somewhere else. Because I think that's, that's what God has, has called me to do with my life. Until then, my, my calling is to, to love all of you, and I do. Uh, I'm really, really glad that all of you are here and part of us. But it's also my job to make sure we understand what a proper church does for its minister. And so if we're going to, to, to be a proper church, then, then one day we'll need to be able to, to pay a minister for his, his labor in the gospel. There's three things I want to say on, on this principle that Paul gives us here. First of all, um, I think it's safe to say that, that this principle is, is means-tested. Uh, means-tested, but not in the, the usual sense of the term. Paul commands uh, the Galatians to, to share all good things with the one who teaches. And I think it's important that we recognize that, that we can only share the good things that God has blessed us with. And there are some churches that, that are really well off. And their ministers uh, are sometimes quite well off as a result of the people sharing all of God, the, the good things God's given them with him. There are other churches that are, are not so well off. And, and their minister lives uh, perhaps more humbly. But he's no less blessed. I think we should underline that point. He's no less blessed when his people share all good things with him. And what I'm trying to get at here is, is that both are honoring to God. The minister, doesn't, the, the minister doesn't take a vow of poverty, but he also doesn't, doesn't need great riches. The call of the minister is to love and care for God's people that God has called him to. And the call of God's people is to love and care for and provide for that minister according to their means and ability. The second thing is that Paul actually gives us a warning to underline how, how important this is. And I'll... Uh, Look at verses seven, verses seven and eight. He warns them not to, to neglect this duty. It says, "Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life." That's actually uh, quite a strong statement, isn't it? Paul's saying it's incredibly worldly and therefore an affront to God to not look after the practical needs of the man God has called to, to look after your spiritual needs. He says that followers of Jesus care, 
should care for their minister. That that's what Jesus' church is called to do. Now the usual pushback is to say the the church is always uh, wanting money. And the ministers are always asking for money. And and, uh, why does God want my money? Uh, Or something along these these lines. And I think we've gotten to the point in in most good churches where uh, they're a bit embarrassed to, to talk about money. And I know I'm an American talking to English people, and, and I, well, I'm half American because I've got my British citizenship now. So we English people don't like to talk about money, I know. So forgive me for saying the word so many times. I'll try and use it less. I know it's a dirty bit of a dirty word. But, but we, don't, we, we don't like to hear the church talking about finances. Um, most church, good churches, though, do a really good job of caring for their minister. Uh, and to be honest, the only reason I'm talking about this at all is because Paul makes me. Like, this is what it means to be preaching through uh, what we call expository preaching, preaching through a book of the Bible bit by bit. Uh, it means we can't, we can't shy away from the things that the scriptures tell us. But to respond to these, these objections, the church is always talking about my money. Ministers just want, they're, they're greedy and just, just kind of want want our money. Let me respond by, by saying a couple of things. First of all, yes, there are some churches that are greedy and there are some ministers that are greedy. Um, many of them you see on television, don't you? And they're, they're frankly evil and they're, they're taking from people and they're, they're asking people to give money that, that those people don't, don't always have. And they're using that, that money just to, to grow their own wealth. And that's wrong. And I'm, I'm sorry if you've been exposed to that. And I'm sorry that if it's put you off to, to the church or, or even to, to giving to the church. Again, we, we, we want you to be able to come and, and freely be a part of Grace Church, Hammersmith. Second, Paul, Paul gives this warning because what it, he's, he's getting at is actually that, that how we view our, our finances says a lot about, about the state of our, our own hearts. If we view our money as, as ours and no one else's, as this thing that, that we've, we've gone out and we've, we've earned for ourselves, and we view our money as, as ours, as this thing that we've produced, rather than viewing it as, as coming from God, then, then we're going to want to hold on to it. And we're not going to like it when, when a minister gets up and says, uh, actually, you should, you should care for, for others with that money. But if we, on the other hand, view our money as coming from God, as actually being a gift from Him, as actually belonging to Him, as, as something that, that He's given to us as, as stewards, if we take the eternal perspective that, that uh, Paul mentions here, then it's, it's easy for us to, to want to bless others with that, to, to be generous with it, and in particular with our fellow believers. So the, the question for us this evening is, uh, whose money is sitting in our bank account? And how you answer that says a lot about, about the state of our own hearts, doesn't it? Now the third thing I'd like to say very briefly on this point is, is actually uh, a personal testimony uh, of the blessing of being cared for by God's people in the way that Paul talks about here. 
uh, I grew up in a, in a minister's home in America, and, and, and so uh, I've experienced uh, as a kid growing up uh, the, the joy of God's people sharing their good gifts with us. And I could give you loads of examples. I won't give you loads, but I'll, I'll give you two. In my dad's first church, there was a, a guy in that, that church who, uh, who was a pilot, and he had a single-engine aircraft. And uh, for a treat, he, he took us up, up in his airplane just because he, he wanted to do something nice for, for the minister and his, family, and his, his sons. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, in my dad's second church, and this is where I'm going to, to sound a bit posh, uh, but where, where I grew up, there was a, a professional golf tournament every year. And it was a, a major uh, community event. Everyone in the community, lots of people in the community would go uh, to watch the, these professional golfers. You know, Tiger Woods and, and Davis Love III, those, those kind of guys would, would turn up. Uh, for this tournament. Uh, and it was the sort of thing that we'd, we'd never be able to afford tickets to on our own. But we went every single year that I was growing up. Because every single year, people in our church would, would share their, their tickets with us. And it, these are the kind of things that made us feel part of the community. Those may sound like silly things, but they were, they were huge in our, in our hearts and in our lives. It, it was uh, it was not, they weren't as important as providing food and housing, but they were, there were ways that, that God's people showed us love. And it, it helped us to feel loved. It showed the heart of God's people for, uh, for us and sharing their good things with us. It's probably one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a believer today, because God's people were, were kind and generous with us. And so I think what, what Paul's saying here is actually a very powerful principle that we care for those that he calls to, to care for our spiritual needs. Now, the third thing that Paul shows us this afternoon is actually how God's people care for everyone. Paul, in our, our last two verses this afternoon, takes this, this principle of caring for the minister, and he, he expands it, doesn't he? Uh, look at 9 and 10. Let, he says, And let the, us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now there's a couple of reasons why I think Paul moves to this, this idea of doing good and, and not growing weary in doing good. Coming after this warning about not, uh, not being selfish and, and sowing to our own flesh, uh, not, not chasing after worldly things. Uh, coming after this section, Paul's recognizing that, that being generous with our, our minister and, and doing good to him and doing good to, to others in the church and doing good to others in the, the wider world is, is a really difficult thing for us. And it's wearying for us, isn't it? We get tired of it because it doesn't come natural to us. We want, we want to look after ourselves first and foremost. And, and we want to look after our own needs. And it's, it's tiring doing good for others, isn't it? It's often thankless. There's so many things that we can, can do for people and they, they don't even take notice, do they? Or give a simple thank you. And that's, that's exhausting, isn't it? To put forth an effort when we have so many things going on in our lives, with our work or with our school, uh, with family and friends. So to go out of our way to do a kindness for someone else and get no response from them is it's deflating. 
But Paul gives us a very real encouragement here, doesn't he? He, he, he gives us encouragement with this command. He says, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Again, this, this promise fits into the, the greater context of, of what Paul's been saying to us here. Uh, the, the greater context of these verses where he, he talks about reaping eternal life through the Spirit. Paul's saying that, the follower, that followers of Jesus can, can give of their, their money, their time, their energy because they're confident that something greater and longer lasting is coming. See, if we're, we're trusting in Jesus, then there's a, a real and secure hope that begins to, to break into the here and now. That the things that we, we see and experience today, the things that we have finite amount, amounts of, money and energy and time, that there, there's going to be a day coming when, when actually we're, we're going to reap infinity. A world without end, that riches without end, energy, time without end, and the kingdom of Christ Jesus. But Paul's saying here and now, just as how we steward our money reflects the state of our souls, so does how we spend our time and our energy. Paul says here that everything we do says something about what we believe. If we believe that this world is all there is and, and this life is all that we have, then we're going to spend it mostly on ourselves. But for followers of Jesus, people uh, who live in the light of, of this eternity, that know this world is only the beginning of, of something greater and something more, we can give of ourselves knowing that, that we have all the time and energy and riches of our great God to draw on. That's why Paul calls us to do good to everyone as we have opportunity. And he doesn't limit it, but he does tell us where to start, doesn't he? He says to start in here. He says to start in this room, within the church of Christ, with your brothers and sisters. He doesn't say that because we're, we're more important than anyone else, but rather because he's, he's calling us and he's calling the, the Galatian church and, and Grace Church Hammersmith, he's, he's calling us to look like Jesus. To, to do the things that, that Jesus did. And the way we, we look like Jesus is by first and foremost loving the people we know Jesus loves. Because he's called them to himself. And then we look like Jesus by, by loving those we we hope he will call to himself. Those who don't yet know him. Those who maybe seem really far from him. Because again, what did Jesus come to do? To seek and to save the lost. And that's who we were. Why do we do this? Because in doing good to one another, and in doing good to, to those outside the church, we're actually living out the gospel in a very tangible way. You see, Jesus' love began actually within the triune Godhead. It was a love of, of God within himself, shared between the three persons of the Trinity. And out of that, that great love, Christ Jesus came to those who, who did not love him to call a people to himself, to call a people to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit. 
And we're the result of that. And Jesus calls us into that love, to, into, to let that love grow in us until it overflows to others in the church and in the wider world. Amen. Let us, let us pray.